Tuesday in December, we'll get into 2 Chronicles 34. I want us to look at a king by the name of Josiah. And I'm really interested in how this man could live the life that he lived as a young person. And we want to see how all of this began, why his life was the way that it was. What can we learn from this man who was a king? And we'll kind of go from there. Second Chronicles 34, beginning with verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. He reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of David, his father, and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, for the next few moments as we get into the scripture tonight and teach, we ask you to speak to all of our hearts. Help us to see the things you want us to see and really minister to us in a, in a wonderful and edifying way. We're so grateful that your son came and died on the cross for our sins and that you raised him from the dead. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you've read Kings and Chronicles, you know it's filled with a lot of stories of people who walked with God and some who didn't walk with God. This man, Josiah, that we're looking at, his grandfather had reigned for over 50 years, a man by the name of Manasseh. He was not the nicest guy. He introduced idolatry and witchcraft, sorcery and other things. And then at the end of his life, he repented. But his son, Ammon, was thoroughly, thoroughly wicked in the sight of the Lord. And he just wanted to do his own thing. And he wouldn't even humble himself in the sight of God. Now, when we look at Josiah and you see in verse one that he's eight years old when he begins to reign. One of the things you'll notice in Kings and Chronicles is whenever you have a king that starts reigning at an early age and he does good, he normally has a good priest that's helping him. You know, because everybody needs somebody to kind of speak the word of the Lord into their life. What I'm fascinated by is the fact that Josiah's father, who was murdered by his own people, as wicked as he was, Josiah still grew up and loved God. Now, now that tells me that that even in your youth, just because you come from a bad background, a wicked background, that does not mean that you yourself are going to be wicked. You can make choices that are totally different in the midst of an environment that is filled with sin. So at the age of eight, he began to reign. He reigned 31 years. So that means he died when he was 39. Now, we, we know that that's not a long life. And for us that are older than the age of 39, you wonder how anybody could last on the throne for 31 years if you start reigning at the age of eight. Who would let a kid sit on the throne? In our own nation, you can't run for president unless you're about 30 or so. And so there are all of these rules and regulations to prevent little children from being in a position of authority and power. But in Israel, the monarchy and kingship was hereditary. So it passed from one father to one of his sons. But verse two tells you he did what was right in the sight of God. He believed God was watching him. And that's what we should live like and we should do. We should imitate him in the sense that we are forever in the presence of God. And when it says he walked in the ways of David, his father, that means he knew how David lived. 
So your ancestors, our forefathers in Christ, we should know the lives of those who lived before us and we should imitate them as far as they walk with God. When Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, he's saying that insofar as my life is a reflection of what Jesus taught, this is what I want you to imitate. So we don't want anybody to pick up on bad habits. We don't want you to imitate someone's lifestyle that is evil. But each person in here right now has had a David or two in their life that has shown them the way. And it's a choice that you have to make to go down that same path. You you have to choose to avoid the path that leads to destruction. And some of the, the older mothers in the church that you may be able to remember from your youth or from your 30s and 40s who really had a good attitude and walking with God, a good disposition. I'd encourage you to remember them and think about how they lived, how they prayed, how they sought God. So in verse two, at the end of it, it says he didn't decline to the right or to the left. So that just means he didn't deviate. Now, there are a lot of distractions and people deviate all the time from truth. But you don't have to. If you walk with God, you can be determined to follow a set path and stay on that set course. Well, in his eighth year of his reign, that would mean he's now 16 years of age. Everybody say 16. 16. Think about that. 16 years old. Here is what it says. While he was yet young, he began to seek after God, the God of David, his father. This is what we want for anybody who's young. This is what we want for anybody who's older. To prepare their heart to seek after God. Once you begin to seek after God, other things just fall into place. Because by choosing to pursue God, The wisdom of the Lord begins to operate in your life and the pursuit of God will keep you or prevent you from making the kind of decisions that could lead to self-destruction. It'll preserve you. It's true when the Bible says we're kept by the word of his power, held together by the word of his power. So in his eighth year of his reign, while he was young, he started seeking God. Well, if the Bible says that he did all those things that was right, I wonder what he was doing at the age of 10. Well, at the age of 10, he couldn't get in a whole lot of trouble. He obviously had handlers around him to help him. You remember Joash the king? He had Jehoiada the priest to look after him and give him counsel. A 10-year-old, a 12-year-old needs counsel. Older people uh, certainly want to be available to provide younger people with the wisdom that they need. The problem very often in the kingdom of God and in the body of Christ is younger people don't know who to look to for wisdom because younger people aren't always sure what wisdom looks like. See, they're not always sure what that looks like. And for Josiah here, he starts seeking God when he's 16 But then notice in the 12th year of his reign, he's 20 now, and he starts purging Jerusalem and Judah of the high places and the groves and carved images and molten images. So once a person really begins to pursue God, there's something in their heart that has such a craving for holiness that things that do not line up with God, you want to start tearing down and getting rid of. And this is a part of the Christian life. 
You, you'll never escape this. The moment your heart is aflame for God, then you have discernment that begins to operate inside of your heart. You have a perspective now that's different than other people's perspective. And unless somebody comes along and starts convincing you that certain things are not as sinful as you now think they are, you'll probably be tearing down some high places. Yeah. And you'll be attacking some images. But if, if you sit around and listen to the people who say, look, you, you should leave other people's idols and gods alone, then you're going to become part of the problem also. The ones who are trying to preserve the images and the groves are typically the people making use of the images and the groves. But God takes young people and their zeal and very often uses them to attack idols. Now, a, a good illustration of that is uh, when, when I was younger and a teenager preacher and in my early 20s, you know, I mean, I, I at that time I wasn't playing sports and, and I didn't go to any kind of theaters. And and I, I certainly wasn't ever on a dance floor and, and I wasn't drinking. I didn't spend a whole lot of time with sports and I did. I didn't do anything. I didn't fish. My only habit was the Bible so I could preach against everything. And I did. And I did. I mean, I just hammered away. You know, I, my, my opinion was this body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we should do everything we can to make sure we preserve holding. I, I didn't even have a television until I got married. You see. So in, in my mind and in the minds of many people, even some older people today, if, if, if we're pursuing God and have a heart after God, a lot of times the things of the Lord pushes out other things. Now, now let me come back and say that I am not under the impression that a lot of these things are sinful at all. I just in, in my mind, I thought that there were a lot of things that could be distractions, you see, that could move you away from what God wants you to do. Well, this is certainly what happened with this little 20 year old guy here. And, and some of you, if you look back to when you were 20, you probably held to some beliefs that you probably don't hold to right now. And, or some of you might have went in the reverse. I mean, the older you got, the more conservative you got. And then you just became more tenacious about about your beliefs. But God has to use people with this kind of zeal to help work in that church to purge a church. Because presently we have a church in America and around the world that's so divided. We don't really know the difference between what's right and what's wrong. Yeah, we, we believe in gray areas. If, if God says it's black or it's white. Then we'll come along with somebody else and say, well, you know, the Bible doesn't really say anything about that. That's like one time I had a conversation with someone and they told me, well, the Bible doesn't ever say anything about kidnapping. I said, well, what do you think the, the word men stealers means? It's exactly what it's talking about. Somebody told me one time, Bible doesn't talk about arson. I said, you just really need to read the books of the Bible again. So sometimes. God starts in the, the youth of a person and uses that zeal to work inside of the, the kingdom of God. So verse four, it continues. He broke down the altars of Balaam in his presence. 
So that means Josiah did not believe that these other gods were worthy of worship or even acknowledgement. Now, I wonder as a Christian believing in heaven, believing in hell, believing in the truths of God's word as you understand it. When was the last time you had a conversation with somebody of another religion and you let them know you didn't believe their religion was true? Because some people will say, well, I just think religion is a private thing and maybe we shouldn't talk about that. Well, Jesus would disagree with you because he said, go into all the world, preach the gospel. And obviously, if he's wanting you to preach the gospel, he's wanting you to tell his story because he believes his story is greater than the other stories. And if he's telling people to repent and to convert, he obviously believes his belief, his lifestyle, his kingdom message is greater than all other ones because the other ones are false. So if you if you look at other religions and you say, I I just don't want to be the one to tell a Mormon that what they believe is wrong. Well, I'll volunteer to do it for you. And there are thousands of other people that will volunteer to do it for you who will have a spirit very much like the spirit of Josiah. What's the truth? Tell the truth. If, if someone believes Jesus was born of a virgin, lived without sin, died on the cross and that he was buried, raised from the dead, ascended one day he's coming back. I'm all in with talking with that person about the things of God. But if you believe all of those things and then you start adding a whole lot of things that obscure all of that that I just mentioned, then I'm going to start talking to you about the altars of Balaam and these images and say we've got to speak out and open our mouths about that. Well, it says that he cut the images down and the groves. Those were rows of trees that people used for worship. And, and the carved images and molten images, carved images, uh, more than likely made of wood. People would have used knives and things to carve. But a, a, a molten image, you would have used a cast or some kind of molding made out of gold or silver or something like that. And it says he broke it in pieces and made dust out of them. And then he went to the cemetery and threw the dust on the graves of the people that sacrificed. Oh, I like this man, Josiah. Yeah, I like him. Yeah. Somebody else would say, oh, that's so mean. I can't believe you're doing that. That's sacrilegious. Not according to Josiah. Do you remember what Moses did with the golden calf? He ground it into dust and then made the people drink it who worshiped that thing. Yeah. When Jesus went into the temple and cast out the money changers, he did it because he had zeal. He had courage and he had a belief in the holiness of God. What do you really believe about living holy for the king? What do you truly believe about walking with God when you come in contact with people who are less zealous than you? So zeal is contagious, but so is apathy. If you you hang around people don't care anything about God, then pretty soon, if you're not careful, their beliefs, their cold feelings can get onto you. Yeah. So verse five, he burnt the bones of the priests upon the altars, cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. Here was a man that was not going to be turned around or away from what he believed. He was strong in what he believed. Okay. well, it's interesting then as we come down to verse eight in the 18th year of his reign, when he was 26, It says when he purged the land, this is when he started thinking about repairing the house of God. 
Now, I don't have time to walk you through all the previous chapters, but Manasseh and Ahaz and all these other kings, these people hated God so much, they closed the doors of the temple and just turned the temple into a storage facility with filthy things they put in there. And when he came along with his heart in pursuit of God, it was only a a natural sequence of events that he's going to want to go to God's house and start putting that thing in order. Yeah. And that's the kind of a gentleman that that he was at this time by the age of, of 26. So he says, I want you to go talk to the priests, gather up all the offerings that have been coming in, and we're going to repair God's house. Well, that's what he did. And notice verse number nine. They delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites that kept the doors had gathered of the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim. If you're going to have a church, you've got to have different people that have different abilities and different functions. And you cannot do the kingdom of God without resources and money. You can't keep the doors open without money. You can't do missions without money. You can't look after widows and orphans without money. You can't do anything without money. And a man or woman or a church that doesn't have money doesn't have any ministries. It's impossible. You know, you can, you can have people not have ministries. I've seen churches that, that, that boast of uh, having a Sunday school that has 80 to 100 children in it. Then they got four adults. But if you don't have any money, you don't have any ministry. Because you still can't even take care of the kids that are there if you don't have the resources to even teach them and be a blessing to them. The kingdom of God operates on the basis of talents and skills and the graces that God gives to different people and the monies that are available to take care of things that that are important in the kingdom of God. When, when Tiff and I first went over to Beatrice and used to preach in the church over there for a number of months, I walked into that that little place as soon as I entered the foyer all over the floor. Dead flies. Hundreds of them. Dead flies. Walked into the church, walked down the center aisle and uh, dead flies all up and down the pews. And uh, the lady who pastored had basically just given me the church, the keys and a handful of people that were there. Uh, only reason we didn't stay there to pioneer work there and pastor there is because we were right in the process of starting here. So I was preaching here in Red Cloud and in Beatrice for about six to nine months or so. And, and when I walked in and went to the bathroom, smelled like urine and all of that. Let my wife know we're amongst the dead, you know. We're amongst people that don't even care about the place where they come and worship. Yeah. Well, of course, uh, when, when I started going down there, there, there wasn't anything that was going on in the, in the people's lives that would lead them to want to give toward what was taking place. But I come back to what I was saying. If you don't have money, you don't have ministries. If you don't have ministries, you, don't, won't, you can't have people. It's impossible. Because the, the kingdom of God operates on people pursuing God with their whole heart. If we cease to pursue God with our heart, then we don't have a heart to do the things that God wants us to do. And and people who lose that zeal for God very often end up in a, in a very bad, bad way. When I first went to Red Cloud, the church I was preaching in was a little town called Innovale. 
and the little place looked like it was about to close down. They had maybe six members left in that uh, little church over there. All of them were over the age of 80, a couple of them over the age of 100. One lady boasted to me, I've been a member of this church for over 80 years. I mean, she said it like it was a source of pride. And I'm sitting here looking around. There's nobody in there, no joy, no happiness. And 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 listening to them as they were talking to me, I understood why no one was interested. You see. So so then when I was because I was preaching in Plymouth at the time, so they invited me up there to preach over there in Inneville. So I came and they invited a bunch of people. I think we had all of the seniors for the high school, then a bunch of other kids and people from a lot of different churches. And, and that one meeting, I preached in that church a message called No More Religion. And that from that one message, that's how we ended up starting Revival Tabernacle. You see, listen, I- any place that is going down can start coming up if you have somebody in there teach the word. It can start coming up. Yeah. And so the, the, while we were there in Beatrice, then, of course, we had a good time. I mean, we watched those Sunday evening services. People start coming and uh, the, the little people lived in that area. The number of Mennonites in that area, they were all showing up Sunday night service. Altar services were good. Nothing is over as long as you have someone whose heart is to pursue God. See? Well, that's what's been happening in Belvedere, you see. Yeah, you just have somebody teach the word, minister the word, and then it attracts people to come and hear what God is saying to people because it changes lives. It starts with someone having a heart for God. Well, look at verse verse 11 here. Talks about these builders and stone and timber that they're going to use to refloor the house which the kings of Judah had destroyed. Why in the world would anybody destroy the house of God? Because the people didn't care. Yeah, that's all it was. Verse 12 says the men did the work faithfully. And and that's what we need. Faithful men and women and young people. What does it mean to be faithful? It means to be diligent. Yeah. It means to be a person that's not going to be turning to the left or to the right because of this or that. Faithful to the call of God, the command of God, to the house of God. Billy Graham had some people that labored with him for over 50 years. That's almost unheard of today. 50 years with the same team of ministers from the beginning right on up to the end. Same one that was singing, George Beverly Shea. Same one directing the choir. The same ones that were running the ministry, managing what he was doing. You say, why did they stay? They were they were faithful. Yeah. And I've seen interviews with some of those men and and they talked about how when uh, the the invitation came for them to leave, to to go do this or go do that. And they said, well, why did you stay after all of those years? They said, it's not that we didn't pray. It's not that we didn't seek God. But they said the Lord kind of spoke to our heart and said, we still reach more people with him than in that church. I said, wow. See? I think Oral Roberts had people around him for over 40 years. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing to me to think how faithful a man or woman can be when they trust in God. He's faithful to us. We should be faithful to him. OK, so with all of this going on, when you come to verse 14, Josiah then says, 
when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest, he found the book of the law of the Lord. I love that. He found it. And I'm sure it was difficult for him to do his priesthood without this, because the only thing you would have are the stories and precepts that have been told you by previous priests. But what happened to the book? Because you have to go back a number of pages to find anybody that for the last time they held the Hebrew scroll. So we went centuries without this book being read and without anybody knowing. And can you imagine trying to be a king that rules in righteousness and you don't even have a book that tells you how to do it? But Josiah had a heart for God and that set in motion all of these other things which led to the rediscovery of the word of God. Where did they find it? They found it in the place where they locked it up and lost it. The house of God. Yeah. And, and in any church where... The word of God has been lost and they preach heresy and they preach false things. I guarantee you, if you walk around that church and go in the back of a pew or you look in some church office, somewhere there is a Bible. And if somebody could ever rediscover it, it'd change your life. Now, Manasseh's generation and Ahaz's generation and Ammon's generation, the reason they closed the doors of the temple and they got rid of the Bible is because the Bible said things that were contrary to what they were doing. So you have to shield your eyes and the people's eyes from the very thing that's going to cause them to believe what you're doing is wrong. And this is why today, I honestly believe there's a there's been a big move in the last Oh, let's say 75 years to create as many liberal translations as possible to keep people from ever reading things that convict the conscience of what is wrong. Yeah. So that Manasseh mentality, that whole Ahaz type of heart is what governs many politicians. We see it all over the place and we watch as, as people go about trying to do what they're doing without the word of God. And many churches are absolutely at sea. I mean, just like a ship without a sail. They're just drifting with everything that comes along. And if we could ever get back to what the book says, things will turn out well. So when Josiah, Josiah found the book, he found a new way to reign. Yeah. Now, Romans tells us that we've been made to reign with Christ. So we've got to think like kings. Not like paupers, but like kings, kids. And the only way to do that, you've got to have the word of God. But at least we did have a priest here who was diligent enough to find the book. I'm I'm sure, as I said earlier, he wanted to know all about what God had to say. How interested are you in God's words and what he says? Can you go a day? A week? Can you go months without reading God's book? Are you the kind of person just pick it up when it's time to go to church? Or do you feed your spirit on these things? Hilkiah answered and said to the scribe, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Hilkiah delivered it to the, the, the scribe. Shaphan carried the book to the king and brought the king word back again and said, look, we're repairing the breaches in the temple. The money has been delivered. But by the way, we found the treasure. We found the book of God. And you can see when they read it in verse 18. 
It says in verse 19 that the king, when he heard the words of the law, he rent his clothes. He was so broken by how out of sync his nation was with what the book said. Now, from everything I've read so far, it seems to me like this man was doing everything he could to walk with God. And to turn things in the right direction. But he came to discover that everything he has done in light of what the word says still has not been enough. Understand? Isn't there a verse that says something in the Bible like all of our righteousness is like filthy rags? You know, when we go out of our way to do everything we can to live the life that we know God wants us to live, the Bible can always shine a little more light and revelation on something for us to help us do it better. And this man humbled himself, rent his clothes in humility, and the king told Hilkiah and the other men, you have to go and inquire of Huldah the prophetess for me. So they made the trip, as you can see in verse 22, and they came to the prophetess. And she answered them in verse 23, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, this is what you tell the man that sent you to me. Now, Huldah was a woman that walked with God. She was a true God-appointed, God-anointed prophetess. So she had the word of the Lord in her heart and in her mouth. And that's a beautiful thing. And these men came to inquire of a woman. Well, she spoke and she said, I'll bring evil upon this place because of the sins of the people. There's a lot going on in here tonight. All right. I'll bring evil upon this place and upon the inhabitants, even all the curses that are written in the book, which they have read. Now, I don't know if they read all of Deuteronomy 28 to know about the curses. I don't know what portion Shaphan read to Josiah. I just know that whatever Josiah heard, it touched him greatly. But now Huldah is telling them that there are curses in this book, whether you know about them or not, they're coming. Now, what's interesting to me is that the book wasn't available to the children of Israel. But Huldah the prophetess obviously had some understanding and knowledge of what was in the book or either she just gleaned it from this. But it tells me that even if you don't know of something that's in the Bible, you're still guilty. You understand that? You're still guilty whether you know about it or not. So if 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 you're driving down a road and, and there's a stop sign and it's hidden behind the, the branches and leaves of a tree. And then you just go right on through the stop sign and then you get pulled over two blocks later and you say, well, I didn't see a stop sign there. It was there. Just because you didn't know it was there. See, you still have to deal with the fact that, that, that you're guilty of breaking the law. So when we come back to the scripture, you can see here, these folks are learning about curses, even though they don't necessarily know that those curses are there. Yeah. Okay, look at verse verse number 25. Because you've forsaken me. And you burn incense unto other gods. 
you you may want to take her back there in that little room or somebody just in case she her her, her little her little loudness there uh, because they've forsaken me and burn incense unto other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. So the principle then here. God's not pleased with Israel's behavior, but Israel didn't necessarily think their behavior was bad. Now, Josiah has been doing everything he could to try to curb the bad behavior, you see. But now we've got a prophetess delivering the word to them, saying that that we still have a good ways to go. And when it's all over, what does the prophetess say? She says to them, she says, because Josiah's heart was tender, he's not going to see the evil of these days. Now, I I want you to, to realize then in verse 27, this is where we have the statement. Because his heart was tender, thou didst stumble thyself before God when thou heardst the words of this place against the inhabitants thereof. Do you have a heart like that? I mean, when you when you hear God's word, does it really touch you? You know, or is your heart become a fallow ground uh, situation where it's difficult for you to be able to respond to God's word? It's dangerous. I think any time we get to a place where God's word no longer touches us. If there was a time in your life when you, where you once wept in prayer meetings or once wept in the presence of God or you would become joyful in the presence of God and a smile would come across your face. But now you basically become indifferent. It's not healthy. It's not healthy at all. No. So he tells he tells uh, she tells the men you tell Josiah in verse 28, I'll gather you to your fathers. And when you're gathered you be gathered to your grave in peace and you won't see with your eyes all the evil that I bring upon this place. Now, if I'm Josiah, I'm pretty happy about that. But the other side that makes it bittersweet is, you know, there's destruction coming to your people. It's not going to happen in your days because you're walking with God. And I honestly believe that in many families, because you have a, a man or a woman or a couple that loves God and is pursuing God with their whole heart, you don't have any difficulties at all, no troubles, no struggles or anything like that. However, you remove those people, you'll see a whole family fall apart. And I've seen that. People that have what, what we can call leaning faith. Mom or dad, they're the pillar. But then you remove the pillar You take the kid or the young adult out of the house or mom or dad dies or grandpa passes away and now they don't have anything to lean on. And so pretty soon people backslide They turn and go in the opposite direction. I hope and pray that would never be the case with anybody in here. Yeah, I hope and pray that there's not a spouse in here that would pass away because of the loss of a spouse or the loss of a kid. And I hope there wouldn't be one young person in here that when you move out of the house and move to another location or you're doing this or doing that, that you will not lose your faith because I've seen that happen so many times. As long as they're home with mom and dad, they're drugged to church. They're there in church. They do everything church people do. As soon as they step outside the house, go straight into sin. Why? Because they had a faith that leaned on a person and not necessarily on God. Yeah. We need to lean on the pillar and ground of our truth, which is the scripture. 
So notice then in verse verse 30 here, the king went up to the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and, and the priests and all the people great and small and read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant that was found in the house of the Lord. And he read all of it. I'm, I'm thinking he probably read from Genesis right on up to what was written until this day. Who, who would who would like to go to a service like that? Where all they're doing is reading the Bible. It doesn't say they preached it. it. doesn't say they expounded it. It just said they, they had to stand there and listen to God's word read to them. Which tells me that if you really want a word from God, read God's word aloud. If you want God to talk to you and speak to you and minister to you, open up that book and read it aloud for you to be able to hear it. And then be in such awe of God's scripture that you could sit attentively like they did in ancient times. Yeah. Verse 31, the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord. I wish all our leaders did this. Yeah. I, I grow weary of the, the politicians that say they love God. And then they go in a totally different direction from what God's book says. And, and, and some of them have have learned the tricks of the trade and they know how to say all the things that will make the Christians happy so that the Christians will fall in line. But the bottom line is someone has to live and perform the words of the covenant that are written in this book. Old and young stood and listened and they didn't leave. Yeah. Very, 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 very beautiful, very moving thing here. And you can see in the last verse of the chapter, Josiah took away all the abominations out of all the countries that pertain to the children of Israel and made all that were present in Israel to serve, even to serve the Lord, their Lord. And all his days, they departed not from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. As long as Josiah was alive, they did good. Yeah, they did good. Now, the last thing I tell you, and I'm not going to go verse by verse through this, but if you if you were to look through chapter 35, you'll see that when he was 26 also, when they found the Bible, when they were repairing the breaches in the temple, they had the first Passover celebration again. And I mean, we're talking more than 40,000 animals that were sacrificed because of the sins of Israel. And it was such a celebration that there was exuberance and there was joy. And the Bible says that there had not been a Passover unto that day ever as lovely as the one that Josiah put together. And that tells you the kind of heart that man had. And, and we should not be afraid to go all out when it comes to God. I don't understand why we want God to be last with the worst rather than first and with the best. And why we can't have an excellent spirit when we handle the things of God. Some people, when, when it comes to the to their own home, I mean, they go first class. They want the best. But when it comes to the church, they say, well, you know, it doesn't have to be so good. Well, if what we're doing is offered unto him, then we should give him what he's worthy of. Yeah. Offer ourselves an acceptable sacrifice. So the Bible teaches in Corinthians that Jesus has become our Passover. And I can tell you his death was much better than any bullock, any sheep, any animal mentioned here. 
And if we let God have his way in our life, then we'll render unto him a sacrifice that's pleasing to him. Amen. Amen. What, what can we learn from this man's life? We, we can learn that even when you're young, you can walk with God. And even when you get older, you can stay with God. And I, I pray that all of you would stay with the king all the days of your life, right up to the last shot of the gun, the last heartbeat. No matter where you live, no matter where you move, no matter what you're doing, a hundred years from now, I don't know what churches will be in Nebraska or Kansas or Iowa or South Dakota or anything, but I do know one thing, somewhere there will be a Bible and somewhere there will be somebody who will pick it up and they'll read it and just like Josiah, they'll say there's something more that can be done. Yep. And as long as God has somebody like that, there's more that will be done. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity. And uh, we look at Josiah's life and we're just grateful that you put this man's story in this Bible because we can learn a whole lot from him. So, God, I pray you continue to lead and guide us, direct our hearts every day into the greater truths of Scripture. In Jesus name, we do pray and everyone say Amen. Amen. Anything in particular 